welcome back to Time Limit. I can't believe we're all the way up to episode 30. I hope that you're doing well. It's early April 2020 here, and I'm recording this from my home office, as I always do. But a lot of people are experiencing this kind of work-from-home situation for the first time right now, and I know that it can be tough. Actually, right now, I'm trying to balance work with my kids being home and doing schoolwork. So I'm balancing internet bandwidth, too, because they're on just as many Zoom calls as me. Anyway, I think that this episode is really well-timed, or this topic, I should say. You know, I had the opportunity to sit down with Dr. Travis Parry, the founder of the Make Time Institute, and a speaker of Coach who pretty much helps people to make time in their lives. So work-life balance felt like a really great topic to cover with Dr. Perry. And we'll really dig into everything from the myths of work-life balance to really specific tactics on managing your time. So check it out. Hey, Travis, thank you so much for joining me on Time Limit today. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah. So this conversation is pretty well-timed, huh? I think the whole world is talking about productivity and work-life balance in this new world of, for a lot of people, working from home or dealing with a lot of kind of outside stress, so to speak. Um, So I'm I'm really looking forward to kind of digging in on productivity and work-life balance with you. Thanks, man. Yeah, I, I think there's so much that our pe- people are trying to do with less that productivity is is key. Absolutely. And so because these are hot topics, and let's face it, they were really kind of really popular topics prior to COVID-19 and people working from home and, and sorting out these new ways of working. But there are a lot of kind of opinions floating around about work-life balance and productivity. Just wondering if you can kind of personally kind of define work-life balance for us like how, how do you look at at that topic oh i appreciate it you know it's so interesting because when oh yeah you're right productivity work-life balance time management these are topics that honestly extend decades even hundreds of years before right this has led to the industrial revolution and people moving into big cities like we could even go there with sociology but well i'll spare that i'll I'll talk about um, (laughs) kind of why i was interested and kind of what my definition is so i appreciate you asking the question when i was 26 i was already in a two three-year career as a financial financial advisor and it was right before um, there was the Great Recession. My father um, had passed away very suddenly and I was left trying to figure out, and he was a young man, 49 years old, and it was kind of the catalyst to everything that was going on in my life. Um, work was really stressful. Uh, we had, my wife and I had been married for a few years and, you know, those first few years of marriage are historically rough. Like you love each other, but you're still trying to figure everything out and you're trying to make decisions. And so our relationship really wasn't going the direction that I would like it to be going in. Our health was not at peak and having that catalyst of my my father passing away it I, I remember being out in the yard and honestly digging up bushes and the only thing I could control at that time because things were going on that were just without out my control the recession was beginning and it was, I could go out and do some gardening. <laughs> and so I literally was ripping out these bushes that my wife and I, we both hated. And as I was ripping them out, I had this epiphany that I needed to study stress. 
It was stress that probably killed my father. He was a healthy man. He was riding his mountain bike, and he died of what they call a widowmaker. The widowmaker is one um, or two uh, arteries that are clogged that that don't appear. You don't have high blood pressure. You're not overweight, and so you know skinny guys like me die of this. And they call it the widowmaker because right, it leaves the wife behind. It's typically focused on on males. High stress a low work-life balance and that kind of thing. And so I immersed myself into coaching, into programs, into everything that was out there that I could get my hand on. Brian Tracy, Dale Carnegie stuff. Like I just started to teach myself and and I, I had already finished my bachelor's degree, but I made the decision that after going through all these different programs, they were all kind of about their own life and they had their own opinions, what work-life balance really was to them and all of these different voices. And they all wanted to teach me about stress and anxiety and how to be, you know, manage your time better. And I finally just made the decision that I was going to go back to school, do, do a master's, right, and, and uh, sharpen the saw a little bit more so that I could understand this for myself, so I could get at the heart of what is causing work-life balance uh, to be out of, out of whack, out of balance. You know, what, what is that? And along the way, um, I found that one of the biggest stressors in life actually come from our own relationships, and in those relationships is money. And here I was a financial advisor who'd basically come full circle, left the the practice to go back to academia to figure all this out. And now I've really come back to the industry, to, to business owners to help them figure out what I've learned and the myths along the way. And there are really three main myths and I can go into each of those. Uh, but really, the, the first one is the myth of balance. The second is the myth of productivity. And the third is the myth of personal development. Um, which one would you like me to start with? Because we can, we can go into any w- direction you'd like us to go. Yeah, we talked about these myths when, when we first met. I, th- I think dive in. I, I think this stuff is really interesting. And I might just jump in and ask a couple questions along the way. Sure thing. Cool. So the fir- first myth that I really uncovered is this myth of balance. And I used to go out there and teach work-life balance. And it's it's uh, it's this trying to keep everything up in the air, right? And I actually um, discovered that most people's definition of balance is different, right? So I might talk to you and you might say, well, Travis, you know, work-life balance is, you know, being able to go fishing, right? And I talked to somebody else and it's no work-life balance is working 70 hours really hard and then just relaxing on the weekend. So everybody has a different definition and you'll find that in any article, in, in anything that's out there. So if it's so subjective, then there's not truly a concrete definition of this um, term. But I will tell you, the biggest myth that I found is that people that are saying balance is doing everything at the same time. So while it's subjective, we can't just do everything and expect it all to work out. Um, We typically, uh, business owners and professionals, we're spending the majority of our waking day at work. So Will it ever really be in balance if that is your definition of spending time in every single area of life equally? Not so much. Um, We have to make decisions and therefore we make this definition subjective. What I found is instead the truth behind work-life balance is we feel balanced when we manage our time 
and we place our time on our highest priorities. So I could do this exercise with you even right now, Brett. I could ask you, you know, what are the top three things, you know, most important in your life? And I'll tell you, most people, and I've done this exercise with them, it's usually their, their marriage, their family, and their health, and some aspect of health, okay? Your career is usually up there, but it's usually not number one, right? <laughs> and I've, <laughs> I've done this, uh, you know, thousands of times. But the, what, what we end up doing is because we see career, as a means to the end, we tend to not give ourselves boundaries. And I was just interviewing a guy yesterday um, for my book that I'm writing, uh, because now I've kind of exposed these different myths. And I was talking to him about work-life balance and what that meant for him. And because he doesn't have family and because that's not a big priority for him, you know, work-life balance is just working and then playing video games. And I thought, gee, you know, that is his definition of work-life balance. No wonder why I can't come in here and preach to him about what my values are. So I encourage people to really dive deep, dive past time management, dive past schedules and tasks and projects, dive into values. What are your values? What do you truly honestly care about? And then prioritize those values and then create an ideal calendar that will allow you to spend the time that you want to in each of these areas according you know, to what is best for you. Does that make sense, Brad? That totally makes sense. I think it's a, it's a really personal topic, right? And you exposed that from the very beginning, just sharing your story and kind of how you came down this path in, in your own career. But then thinking about... Um, just in general, how many types of personalities you work with in a day or know that even are out there in the world. Not everyone has the same values. Not everyone has the same type of job or the same drive when it comes to career. So it makes sense that work-life balance would really come down to your own kind of motivators, I guess. Is that is that the word that you used, motivators? Yeah, priorities. Priorities, priorities. that makes sense. Yeah, you see, uh, the priorities are what actually motivate us internally. Okay. We get up in the morning, so I've decided to write this book, Balanced. And every morning, I get up and I'm excited to get out of bed. Um, and I wrote this down. You know, why is it so important for me to write this book? Well, this is going to help me to spread the message. I'm going to get on bigger stages. I'm going to speak on podcasts like this all over the country. And so getting out of bed in the morning to write this book and finish it and publish it is key. It's a, that's the internal motivator. That's what turns the switch on and off for us and why we do the things we do. So I spent my, the majority of my master's degree studying psychology and understanding what values truly are. Um, and then once we really manage our time according to our values, that's when, when we're in sync. And no one can truly describe it. Like you describe it differently, Brett. I describe it with different words, but it just feels balanced. It just feels right. At the end of the day, we feel like, man, you know, that feeling when you come home, you like, I accomplished stuff at work. I feel good. But then at the end of the day, when you're with family or you're doing something fun for yourself, or you feel healthy or you exercise, it's that boost of, of hormones that go to your brain that tell you, good job. Like that is the body thanking you. And it's the spirit, it's the mind that's rewarding you for being in balance. Make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, basically what you're saying is that I could achieve work-life balance today and feel completely off-whack tomorrow. 
just because something changes. Exactly. My priorities remain the same, but what what I can control is is those priorities and sometimes not much else. Exactly. And then it's the whole, well, Travis, what is an ideal calendar? Well, an ideal calendar is that. It's ideal. But every single day, we don't know what's coming. We, right. we have no idea. Yeah. And there are things that are way beyond our control. And so I teach people time management techniques. These aren't hacks, but these are principles um, where they set up their calendar and they put things that are really hard and can't be, you know, um, moved. And though I consider those kind of the rocks. And then you also have to be flexible like water. Here we are, you know, we're talking, you know, some some Chinese, you know, um, you know, ideas here. But truly, if you can figure out in your life, what are those things that are permanent and what are those things that can be moved and you can be flexible with, then you can manage the day to day. Um, I look at an ideal calendar over about a, th- a, a, a three month period, a 90 day like a season. And every season, we, I try to reorganize and rebalance my calendar. So right now, and COVID-19 and everything that's happening with it, I won't get too political about it, but it is shaking everything up. Everything's been turned upside down, right? And so with that, it's actually a really good time to reevaluate your ideal calendar. <laughs> what, do, what do we need to do as business owners? What do we need to do to magic manage projects? Um, how can we do these things different? Uh, and this is a great time to reprioritize and really dig deep on your values. What's really important and how can I make this happen during this crisis? Right. So you've mentioned the ideal calendar a couple of times, and I want to mention that, um, we're going to share a link to a download of your article, restoring work-life balance, where you actually talk about creating an ideal calendar kind of to get on track. Um, I'm wondering if you might just kind of at a higher level, talk through a little bit more on the details of the ideal calendar, like what makes up the ideal calendar and what's a good kind of process for me creating one and then kind of reassessing like you're talking about now. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate that. And that'll be available travisperry.com forward slash podcast giveaway. And I know you'll include that in the, in the notes, but uh, um, the article I wrote several years ago, actually, when I was going through the master's program, I wrote it for financial advisors, but it works for anybody who has time to manage anyone who really needs to be able to keep their own time accountable. So the ideal calendar, and there's there's five basic steps to get that started, but I'll be really you know um, high level on this. And that is you look at the things that you normally do, all the tasks, all the responsibilities that you have in your work life. And when it comes to a work ideal calendar, then you prioritize all of those tasks. Where are you spending you know your time? Is it project management? Is it sales, marketing? Um, is it financial? what you what you're doing as a business owner or project manager with your time and then you actually go through and prioritize and I teach a system of how to do that but essentially you look at every single task and you compare it until you break it down into to top three to five priorities I found that most people are they they find the things that they're comfortable with and they call those the things that they like. But those aren't necessarily the things that are bringing in money. Those are ne- not necessarily the things that are allowing them to be really productive at work. And you want to make sure that you're doing the things that you like plus the things that are really important. Like that's the sweet spot. That's what I call the sweet spot. 
And so some people, they may have tasks that are really high priority to them that don't make a lot of you know money for them or for their company, but they really enjoy doing. And it might be like writing a blog. It might be um, producing content online. Um, but they enjoy doing it, so they consider that one of their top priorities. So I work with them in a coaching program to help you know, flesh that out. But most people can take the article and get the gist of it and realize that, all right, in my 45 hours a week or 50 hours a week, where am I spending it? Where is the best way to spend it? And then putting it to a calendar, a Google calendar, an Outlook calendar, whatever you're using, whatever your CRM and software might have a calendar for, and creating different categories that go with the task that that you work. For example, for me, Mondays is pretty much just setting up for the week, getting, um, reaching out to people, do I need to be doing, setting up blog posts, timing when I'm um, gonna produce those throughout throughout the week. Tuesdays and Thursdays is when I do my co coaching time with my clients. That's my client time. And then Wednesdays is typically some marketing. And Friday, it's recording a lot of uh, the different um, pieces that I'll produce there on the next Monday, like the podcast and everything else. When you have your time figured out like this in an ideal setting, then when a task, a project, an email, or somebody calls you and, and and you need to figure out where this goes, you already know where it's going to go. And it may be, well, I record podcasts on Fridays and those are full until, you know, two months out. Then you know where it's at. Instead of reacting, instead of uh, trying to in the moment prioritize, you've already got it pre-prioritized out. And that'll help you on the macro to really be um, fine-tuned and have a system that works with you to be productive. I like that. That that really kind of drives with a lot of what we're talking about at Team Gantt lately, and that is just really around the need for a plan, right? Like you you have to have a plan in order for your project to go well, right? To create some level of expectancy. Now we all know that plans change, right? Like I don't think I've ever worked on a project where the plan hasn't changed even just a little bit. Um, so it sounds like the idea of the ideal calendar is get yourself on track to chart out all of the things that you have to focus on, try to kind of compartmentalize them and then shift as you need to, because obviously life is going to happen, but at least having them on your calendar means that you're giving yourself some structure and a time and place to kind of focus on those things. Is that That's kind of where you're going? Okay. Totally. That's exactly it. Cause it's a, it's your target. Like this is ideal. This is what you want to accomplish in an ideal world and an ideal average week. But you and I both know that ideal doesn't happen every day. So what you don't want to do is beat yourself up when you come home. You want to look at those things that you're able to feel like I accomplished and just focus on that. If we come home and now for a lot of us coming home is you know, walking through the door, leaving our bedroom closet because we're, you know, we're, we're trying to make this work right now. Uh, for me, I've been working <laughs> at home for 12 plus years. Like it's, it's second nature, right. but I come home and I just focus on the good things that happen. Cause if I bring the stress or the distress is what we call it in psychology, where like there's you stress, good stress, the distress, which is the bad. If I bring the bad stress from work 
to home, it's going to then germinate in my family and they're going to complain about things too. And then all of a sudden we're, what we call in our family, we're flushing down the negativity toilet. Like the, we just go in, in a bad direction. So if I come back out and realize, okay, here's the two or three things that happened today that were just phenomenal and focus on that. I'm not trying to Pollyanna it, but I am trying to focus on here's what happened and in bite-sized forms um, explain to my family, to my spouse who loves and supports me and so that they can continue to do that. Because otherwise, it's easy, really, really easy to not feel fulfilled at the end of a work day. Um, and I will tell you a story of a guy, uh, Jeff, he's a mortgage broker and, and man, back in the boom of real estate in 2000 and, and 10 um in in his area up in, in northern utah he was just killing it he and his business partner were were doing fantastic and they figured out how to basically find lenders or, or sorry find those who needed um a, a loan for more for their first time home or second home to refinance even who had perfect credit or thereabouts and they wanted to basically have a, a better um, process instead of going through two months of trying to get loans closed they figured out how just to serve that population and they got loans closed in as little as two weeks and that was average and because they were able to do that they created such a buzz around those people who had similar credit you know histories and they were busting at the seams 1500 percent growth in one month okay uh, and that's not because of economic uh, changes. It was because of their business model because other mortgage brokers weren't figuring this out. And I came and was coaching him and trying to help him. He was working 80 hour weeks and he was dying. And so I was teaching him this, how to use the ideal calendar. And what he found is that by the end, he's like, Travis, this is all really good. This is going to help me be super productive. But he said, but now I'm tempted to not go home. I'm tempted to work those 80 hours and still be productive. <laughs> <laughs> and and this is this is the second myth. This is the myth of productivity. The myth of productivity is that while we can learn these skills and these time management tricks and hacks and even principles of an ideal calendar, if that's all we're doing, if our focus is just on productivity and we don't have balance, we don't have priorities and we don't have boundaries. This is the second truth is boundaries. If we don't have boundaries to keep us from being a workaholic, then that's exactly what will happen. We'll justify our values. We'll justify you know, our priorities by just focusing in on our work ideal calendar and we won't build the boundaries around it and say, okay, now here's time for my personal life, my family, my spouse, um, health, my spirituality, my mental improvement, fun and recreation, those things that we are working for. You follow that? Yeah, absolutely. It's funny because I'm sitting here thinking, um, like, what are my what are my priorities? And um, I have to say, like, personally, I feel like I could put myself in a place where I start to feel guilty about what my priorities are. So earlier you said, you know, a lot of people don't put career at the top. And, and right away when you said it, like you, you, you actually said, I could do this exercise with you. And I had a, a minor panic, like, oh, no, what are my responses? So but I, <laughs> I, I thought about them um, while you were talking. And I think I put career second. And mm -hmm. uh, it was family, career, and then health. Um, which I don't know if that's the right order. I also feel like 
there's part of society that makes you feel like if you're serious about your career, then it is a priority, you know, but that mm -hmm. doesn't kind of the way that you're explaining this, it's like those things can shift. Um, and I think that's a really important thing to take away from this, right? Is um, we all have a, a number of priorities. It doesn't mean that that priority has to be one, number one every day. Um, I think what's hard is, turning work off and shifting priorities. And I assume that you get that a lot from, from your clients or have had conversations around that. That's it. That to me, it, when I'm helping people achieve balance, it's not about what I'm going to shame you into doing. And so, so many, uh, especially on social media, um, you know, we can, we can look at any big, you know, um, influencer or marketer on LinkedIn or anywhere else that are telling you, here's what you need to do to be successful. But they're only talking about business success. They're not talking about life success. And so we get this focus that in order to be a good man, a good provider, a good husband, you know, as a, as a, as as a male, then we need to be out there killing it. We need to be successful. Um, otherwise, our identity is gone. And I actually just um, released a podcast uh, today on, on my own um, podcast where I talked to Dr. John Schinner, who was uh, a consultant for the Pixar Inside Out movie about emotions. And he talks about this man box culture that we almost get shamed into um, if we're not careful as men because we don't know how to control these emotions. So right away, this is where a lot of people, and it's very natural to feel this way, Brett, is to double check our values and our priorities and go, wait a minute, where, where am I? Like, how am I doing? Um, right. And that is, that, is, that is honestly a natural thing to do. So what I will typically have people remember is that you, you you nailed it. These are all priorities, uh, but what priority? Most people have never put their priorities in order. And so the exercise that I take them through is to prioritize these values, which then become their priorities, and they will change. Um, if I was to do this exercise with you, like it, those what you just told me might might change a little bit because I'd have you I. Um, define these first. And as you define them, you'd actually create natural boundaries between one priority and the other. And that actually might just change just by walking through that. So what I found to be the best way to help people with boundaries is my third and final myth. And that's the myth of personal development. You see, as you were mentioning, Brett, you know, I have a hard time, you know, creating these boundaries. Um, you know, you, you, we talked earlier, you're married, right? Yep. Married with two daughters. And how long have you been married to your, to your wife? Going on 16 years. Boom. So in those 16 years, you guys have figured out boundaries on a lot of things, haven't you? Sure. Never thought about it that way, but yeah, I think so. Yeah. So I found, um, during when I was doing my master's degree, I actually went to work for a personal development company because I, I wanted to figure out everything about psychology I could. And this was kind of outside academia. Um, and they, they focus loosely on some academic principles of positive psychology. And that's kind of where personal coaching came from is positive psychology that was used in sport coaching and then into, you know, in, into success and productivity and time management in, in business world. So I love that stuff. I ate it up and that's probably why I ended up doing a master's in psychology because of the guy named Brian Tracy ever heard of him. Does he sound familiar to you at all? I don't know that name. No. 
he was big 80s, early 90s, and I kind of picked him up late 90s and just have followed him. He's one of the kind of like T. Harv Ecker um, uh, editions of of uh, of motivation and sales and time management. Loved, loved, loved his stuff. And there's a lot of big names out there. And I actually found myself working for a company that was selling the coaching for all of these big name guys and gals. And uh, they, we would get their um, leads from from the book sales. And from there, we'd call people and discuss with them what's going on in their work life. And we'd oftentimes sell them coaching packages that, that ranged all over the place. Um, I found that out on the sales floor, as I was helping people that, you know, um, the, the sales process was simple. Like they almost sold themselves into this idea because they needed the help. However, after the coaching, I found something interesting because I wasn't tied into the founders, you know, the company, I knew them well, but you know, I didn't, I didn't have stake at the company. I was a salesperson and I began coaching. And while I was doing that, I realized that a lot of these, uh, graduates of the coaching programs were coming back for more. But when they were coming back for more, most of them were not successful at the very first coaching program. Most of them were just not in the uh, place to, you know, really uh, come back and say, I'm a, I'm a good, you know, um, solid example of what the company, you know, sold me in the, in the first place. And I started kind of scratching my head. I'm like, wait a minute, I've already spoken to you. You're, you're already an existing client. How did things work for you? And on my own started compiling some research and found that there was a variable, a factor that most of the people who entered programs and didn't finish or didn't become successful. And that was their marital relationship. Either a, they hadn't, they did not have one or that relationship was um, rocky or not um, supported. And so I began um, thinking about this and really hypothesizing on well, what is it? What is it about this relationship? And at that time, you know, my wife and I had been married for close to um, eight, nine years. And I realized that at the end of my master's program, I was having this kind of wonder and, and theor theorizing um, there was a, an article. Are you familiar, Brett, with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, kind of motivation, different motivational um, points in life? High level, yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. And most people are. Most people go, oh, yeah, Maslow's hierarchy. That was created in the 1950s. At the very top of Maslow's pyramid was something called self-actualization. And Maslow says, you know, basically you need food and water and shelter and then you have these other needs. It might be relational. But at the very top is this idea that you've kind of achieved it. You've hit it. You've found your life calling. Later, he explained that, no, we actually don't really hit that very often. We hardly ever get to the top. Well, in the 2000s, fast forward, just a little bit of research here, very high level, psychologists, evolutionary psychologists, these were not family people. These were individual researchers found that uh, Maslow was was kind of right. He was partly right. They revised his theory. And you'll never hear about this because it's not popular yet. Um, and I don't know if it ever will be. But the very pinnacle of the pyramid that they revised, and again, these are psychologists, they look at individuals, not at families. They found the number one motivator for people and their motivations and priorities in life is being a parent. Number two was having and keeping a spouse, a mate, someone that completes you or whatever, however you want to mention it. And, and, and I thought at the exact same time, I'm getting there. 
but it's it's not complete. Personal development is a field. It's a billion dollar field, like the, you know, multi billion dollar field of people trying to sell us this idea of self actualization, but it doesn't really ever happen. It only happens when one has solid, good relationships. And in fact, I just saw an article this morning about how good health is more aligned with relationships than anything, um, that your reduction of stress and good stress can come from good, healthy relationships, therefore good health. And I tested this. I went decided that I was going to do a PhD. I wasn't just going to take this for, for you know one little article. But then I did my PhD in family relations and found that that's true. When couples are aligned, they they have the same goals and values, which we've been talking about. When those are the same and where they're more closely aligned than those who aren't, when there's that separation, they're actually happier individually, their marriage is better, and they achieve their financial goals at a higher success rate. Okay. So that applies to like one cross section of the world, right? Like what about all those people out there who are happily single, not married, not worried about being tethered or in a relationship or children for that matter? Yeah. And that is a a subject that's brought up all the time. Like what about the non-married population? Well, if you look at the world and I've studied these trends now for years, um, every, if you interview someone, they're actually going to admit, yeah, I would like to be a, most people would like to be a parent. Like that's, that's research. And most people would like to have a mate. So whether we call that a legal spouse or legal marriage, um, that's like, that's a whole different topic, right? Uh, but there are some who choose, like, I want to be, you know, happily single. Uh, and that, that might be the choice, but that is the very, that is very rare. Research, and this is the thing that most of us, you know, we want to understand people, but research is based in averages. Research is, an average population against another right. average population. And so uh, when we're looking at this type of research, it actually is the majority of people. The majority of people do want this, whether they admit it or whether they want to come out and say that at certain periods of time because of social you know, norms or cultures um, is, is, is another question. But in reality, most people want this. And there are some, depending on political um, uh, spectrum, will actually fight against the institution of marriage, which is a whole other topic. I'm not really going there. What I'm really saying right. is that in order to create those boundaries, the the person in your life that is going to help you with that the most is your spouse. If you're not married, can you still have accountability? Yeah, but it's typically going to be a coach. It's going to be someone who um, is at, you know, some, somehow not connected to y- you as like a, um, a child or a parent. It's going to be someone who's kind of on the same level. It could be a coworker, but that could get dicey. That could be weird. Um, most times it's a coach. And that's where this personal development field has just gone, um, you know, upwards and onwards. And I see it continuing because people haven't figured this out. There's a book out there um, that talks about the institution of marriage and how people who are married are are happier, they're healthier, they're wealthier. Um, and so a lot of people have asked, but yeah, but that's, that's just cross-sectional. That's not directional. And that's why I did the research that I did is I really wanted to focus on, well, what is it at the center? What is at the core? So if you find someone 
who has similar values and they're, you know, a, a, a good coach for you, accountability partner, a mentor, then that's someone that can help you. My idea is to help those who are married business owners, married professionals to teach each other as spouses to then coach each other. That way you essentially don't need someone like that the rest of your life. You follow on that? Yeah, absolutely. I've, and it feels like that plays very well into the work-life balance idea and having someone there to keep you accountable and on track and to help you prioritize. I think that absolutely makes sense as someone who is married, right? Right. Uh, lots of really interesting ideas here. I the, the research you're talking about is fascinating. If you can uh, possibly share any links to articles or things that people oh, totally. might be interested in, I think yeah. that would be awesome to share in our show notes. Um, I kind of want to bring up our last question. So when I do these interviews, you know, our our show is called Time Limit. Um, The idea being that, you know, people are stretched for time, they're stretched for resources, and really at the end of the day, having to make things work within those constraints. And your site and your video blog are full of really good tips for productivity and work-life balance. Um, I'm wondering if you can give our listeners any tips who are, um, give our listeners any kind of tips about things that they should be doing to stay productive. I think the ideal calendar is absolutely the best example. Is there anything else that you think is a little more lightweight? weight that people could be doing every day to, to stay, um, kind of in, in work and focused. Yeah, I've got, I got something that I've been thinking about. I want to share with you and I, I do cool. want to echo what you said before about, you know, um, this idea of, uh, of the couple development is what I call it. And I'll, I'll include some links, um, for those who are interested. And there's a book called the case for marriage is what I was referencing. I'll include, uh, that link in there as well. Um, but, uh, that, that really does help people on the work-life balance. I just want to kind of reach back to that just a second on the work-life balance, because if you think about it, those who are overworked and, but don't want to be right, that's who I'm talking about. Those who are overworked, but don't want to be, they want to be with their family then they can be classified as workaholics if they're working more than 50 hours and that's where they go to relieve stress, et cetera, et cetera. So in every addiction program I've ever seen, when you have someone to help you, smoking cessation, Alcoholics Anonymous, anything, anything that's out there that's addictive, when you have a support, when you have someone helping you through the process, then you are much more likely to succeed. So regardless if that's your spouse um, or somebody else, find someone get help. And it, it, it needs to happen so that you can create those boundaries. So one thing that I also help people do on the micro kind of this, you know, maybe a quick or thing to be thinking about just on productivity is create a half an hour to an hour every day to do what I call processing. Processing is if you think about it on your computer, your computer has a, a probably an amazing processor, right? Something that can just cruise through data at you know super fast speeds. The reality is though, uh, Brett, how how much information can the computer process at one single nanosecond? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> one. It can only process one thing at a time. Now, it might have a dual processor, so therefore the computer 
can process more things at once, but typically it slows it down. The processor itself can only process one bit of data at a time. Back in the day, before Mac was huge, I had an old Commodore 64. I'm dating myself, okay? I turned 40 this year. I'm allowed to do this now, I've, heard, I've been told. Um, and I remember creating programs for computers back before that was cool. And you could only create one line of code at a time. The computer reads one line of code at a time. In our minds, we tend to think that we're so amazing. And because our brains are these supercomputers that we can try to do more than one thing at a time. Now, let me just debunk this really quick. When we're talking about multitasking, we're not really multitasking. We're switch tasking. We're going from one thing to another. If it requires high level of energy. I'm not talking about walking and chewing gum. Like that's that doesn't require a whole lot of energy, right? Your jaw goes up and down and you can walk. Make sense? But uh, but when we're we're talking about high level things like creating an email and trying to talk someone talk to another person at the same time. How many times have you we've done that and we go back and realize, "Oh man, I totally was writing what we were talking about." Or I have no idea what I was reading when I was trying to multitask on someone else. Do you find that as an issue um, in work throughout the day, Brett? Oh, absolutely. I think in the, this day and age of Slack and email and trying to focus, it can be really difficult. And context switching, particularly for a project manager who's working on several projects with several people and clients, the same thing happens. You know, it's it's very hard to stay focused and do one thing really well when you've got multiple things constantly being thrown at you. Exactly. So I, I'm a big, you know, advocate of not multitasking as much as we can. Yet our society is still wanting that, even though that we know fundamentally and academically it does not work. Psychologists right. will tell us we can't actually do this, but we still want people who think they can. It's bizarre. So when I'm talking about project management, trying to get things done, here's what here's here's the the thing that I do every single day for the last 12 plus years that's helped me to stay ultra productive. And that is have a half an hour to hour a day where I just do processing. And what I mean by processing, I go through all of my emails, all of my tasks, um all of my voicemail, my text messages, my LinkedIn message, everything that collects someplace. We call these collection points or contact points. You need a contact uh, or it tries to, con you know, somebody's trying to contact you about a bit of information. And instead of trying to do everything at once, um, I've trained myself through other coaching and other you know, um, training a long time ago, um, how to basically do one thing at a time. I know it's novel. But if we can do that one thing at a time, we can actually do it much faster and much higher quality. If you don't believe me, anybody out there listening, um, all to do to um, to prove this wrong is write the ABCs all the way to Z, right? And then write underneath it a line and then do numbers 1 through 26. And uh, this is a, a, a technique that a, a coach of mine, Dave Crenshaw, taught me. And he wrote The Myth of Multitasking, a uh, fantastic book. Um, but on the other side, then I want you to try, just draw that line again, this, this, uh, um, this line across your page. 
and put an A up top and a one below, a B up top, then a two below, and see how fast that you complete that task, and then gauge your handwriting. And I guarantee you that you will either A, um, have worse handwriting and maybe forget some of the letters, <laughs> um, or you will do it a whole lot slower because it's a more difficult task to do. So to put that myth to bed, he wrote an entire book about it, and I've, I've found that as we process each day, we take one email at a time. We ask ourselves these basic questions. Can I do this? Or excuse me, the very first question is, and this is gold. The very first question is, do I actually want or need to do this? That should be number one. If that is a no, get rid of it or um, ask someone else to take care of it. If it's not on your top priorities as a business owner, and I'm talking business productivity now or project manager, then get rid of it or ask somebody else to do it if it needs to be done by someone else. So that's one. We spend a lot of time, we waste a lot of time doing things that we shouldn't be doing, right? Uh, on project management, somebody else should be doing it or this isn't my expertise. Um, or somebody asks us for our time and we're one of those yes people. Yeah, yeah, I can do that. But we really don't want to. Who is it serving when we're doing that to ourselves? Really no one. Because they're going to get second rate help and you're not really going to want to be doing it. And therefore, you're, you're actually not doing your job or you're working on your business. Therefore, it's not helping in your work-life balance and productivity. So then the second step is if I know I need to be doing this, then can it be done in five minutes or less? If the answer is yes, then get to it right away and don't do anything else. Send that email, um, you know, finish that you know, last item on the report and, and get it edited. Uh, whatever that is on, on your to-do for that day, um, then, then do it right away. If it's making a phone call. Um, where people get caught up is they start to like, oh, yeah, this can take five minutes. But then it's actually half an hour, right? And I think, Brett, you mentioned that to me in, in your emails, like, ah, we go over budget or we spend more time. That's a common problem, isn't it, in project management? Absolutely. Yeah. It's, I mean, uh, among all of the kind of issues or challenges that come up with project management, I think keeping things on track and kind of within the constraints of a project is, is certainly a tough one. So this is some, something that we all can relate to. And I am kind of this overachiever, like, yeah, I think I can get it done in five, but it's probably 10. Okay. So we got to, we got to watch that. Um, the, the third thing is if it takes more than five minutes, we have to ask ourselves then, does it have a deadline? And this is where it comes to projects. I am a big believer on deadlines. If your projects don't have different stages with deadlines, it'll, it will never get done ever. Um, I'm writing this book. I have a deadline by May 21st that I'm actually going to get uh, the e-version, you know, the electronic version published. And so I'm going to announce that um, and I'm going to get that out to everybody. But then I've got a hard published date where I'm going to have the actual manuscript out and that's three months from then. So as I'm thinking about these different projects, none these things won't ever happen unless you have deadlines. So if it doesn't have a deadline um, or it doesn't take longer than a half an hour, then you put it in a task list. Task list is kind of the um, the gray zone. It is the no man's land. And I actually use it as such. I throw tasks in there all the time. Then I'm like, hey, that would be really good to do. But it doesn't necessarily help me to get a project done, to hit a deadline, to do these things that I've already decided on my goals that need to happen. Those are the things that typically are fun to do 
but not necessary. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you use a task list kind of like as a catch-all for things that you could do. Where do you put the things that you must do? So the things that I must do, I use, um, again, my ideal calendar and Trello. Got it. Trello is a great project manager. I love that software tool because you have different phases and it can have deadlines and then you can interact with other people. Um, I also use OneNote for projects when I want to take all the notes on, on different things. And um, it's fantastic. Like, there's a lot of software out there and I, um, it'll continue to change. But find, find something that will allow you to have deadlines, allow you to work towards it. Now, this goes back to my ideal calendar. If you don't have an ideal calendar set up and you have something that takes longer than a half an hour, but it doesn't necessarily maybe even have a deadline and you don't have, it's not part of a project, then where are you going to put it? Where are you going to put it? If you don't have that ideal calendar set up, it's more difficult to say, okay, open my calendar and find a place for this. For me, it's so simple. Oh, this is a blog idea? Friday. Boom. Oh, this is an organization idea for the for business? Monday. Boom. Oh, this is a coaching thing I need to do or marketing thing? Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Very, very concise in my mind where and when so that those things actually get done. They don't slip through the cracks. Now, going back to the things that make us slip through the cracks, those tasks, those dirty things that are in no man's land, I go back and when I have extra time, spare time, time that I'm at an airport or I'm, you know, back when we used to use those things, remember those where we used to fly around um, <laughs> and <laughs> on a bus or waiting for something, but now I'm at home all day. So um, what, what we do is when we have spare time, that's when you pull up your task list and say, gee, what's something on here that I'd like to do? And I, I guarantee you nine times out of 10, most of those things, you're like, I don't really want to do that anymore. Uh, it doesn't really fit my vision. Uh, and you end up just kind of deleting a lot of them out. But there may be one or two. Like, oh, that was actually a really good idea. That makes sense now. And then you find a time to either do it right away or put it on your calendar. Put it back into your system. So I do that at least half an hour in the morning half an hour in the afternoon. Um, some days when I'm just, you know, really flying through things, I'll just do half an hour, but most people need to have an hour a day where they do processing. And that should be one of their highest priorities on their ideal calendar. If it's not there, then what they'll do throughout the day is they will be processing and they will constantly be multitasking away their time and wasting 15 to 20% of their day on average. Yeah, that totally makes sense. That that absolutely fits with kind of how I work, Um, sitting down with my to-do list before I hit email or do anything every day just to make sure that my priorities are straight. Hey, this has all been super helpful, Travis. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, Really looking forward to your book. Um, You'll have to let us know when that's out, even though you dropped some of those dates already in the interview. Um, We'll definitely, uh, maybe we'll be able to circle back and, and have another discussion about the book when it's out. I would love to, man. Um, right now, if people are interested, I mentioned that link before. I know you'll have that in the show notes, but uh, Travis Perry with an A.com forward slash podcast giveaway. Um, I if, if they sign up for the giveaway, which includes an article, a 45 minute training and a free call, if they're interested, uh, I will put them on my book launch list so they can always be up to date on those deadlines that are coming out from that project. Even better. Great. Well, thanks so much, Travis. Have a good rest of your day and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. 
Okay, that's all for this episode, folks. I hope you picked up a tip or two to help smooth out your work days. I'm gonna try the Ideal Calendar to see how that helps me. Remember, if you wanna learn more about the Ideal Calendar and the other tips Travis mentioned in the interview, check out the show notes on teamgant.com. And if you have a minute, please rate the podcast wherever you listen. We really appreciate it. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode. Thank you.